And sorry, I know you guys wanted to clap, but everything I'm going to say is going to be amazing. Um, <laughs> how do you pay, man? Uh, if you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Great cash, homie. Mama, there goes that man. Hello and welcome to episode 49 of Carson Sack Podcast where we talk balls. It is so good to be doing this again for you all. Again, another week has come and another episode is here. Thank you all for listening as you always do. The big thing on everyone's mind that we have to get to right away is the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 53 between the Rams and the Patriots. That is going to be a hell of a game this Sunday. We are going to do a deep dive into that, look at some keys of the game, look at some prop bets that are a little tasty to my eye, and then going to give you my official Super Bowl 53 prediction. We are also going to talk a little bit about NBA and college basketball, and then that's it. This is going to be a shorter episode. Got a lot of stuff going on, work, school, but I do need to get this out to you all because it's the it's the freaking Super Bowl, so it needs to get done. So, first off, we are going to talk about the Super Bowl. Before I do that, I need to remind you, like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good shit on iTunes. Anything else you want to do, share this podcast with a friend. means a lot. I appreciate it. Now, without any further ado, let's get on down to Atlanta with my man Jermaine Dupree and talk about Super Bowl 53. Welcome to Atlanta where the players play and we ride on them things like every day. Big beats hit streets, see gangsters roaming, and parties don't stop till eight in the morning. Welcome to Atlanta where the players play and we ride on them things like every day. Big beats hit streets, see gangsters roaming, uh-huh. and parties don't stop yeah. till eight uh, in the morning. Alright, enough of that. We look at this Super Bowl 53 matchup between the Patriots and the Rams. Coming into it, Tom Brady on the year with the Patriots, over 4,300 yards, 29 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Goff, over 4,600 yards, 32 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. Gurley, the leading rusher for the Rams, with 1,200 yards and 17 touchdowns. Sonny Michel with an efficient 931 yards and six touchdowns, but has really come on in the playoffs. Julian Edelman, only six touchdowns and 850 yards for the leading receiver for the Patriots. And then Robert Woods, after Cooper Cup goes down, steps up in a big way, has over 1,200 yards and six touchdowns for the Rams. Um, According to ESPN's Football Power Index, the Rams are the favorite with a 52.4% chance to win to the Patriots, 47.6%. So just to run down some things about this game that I think is going just untalked about. Every Patriots Super Bowl has been decided by one possession either way, and the biggest margin was last year with their loss against the Eagles. Um, If you put together all of the statistical rankings that quarterbacks can have and be given, you look at quarterbacks that Tom Brady and the Patriots have gone up against and whatnot, and you think about all the good ones that there have been. Um, Kurt Warner is 
was not Kurt Warner, excuse me. Matt Ryan was number one on that list. And this year, Jared Goff is fifth amongst quarterbacks to face the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Um, when you put together all of the statistical rankings from that year, you look at on for the Patriots offensively and how well they've just been a well-oiled machine for so many years. And you look at Wade Phillips as the defensive coordinator for the Rams and how he has so many weapons to use and different schemes he can throw at it. You also look need to look at, I feel like, how Wade Phillips has done with other teams against Tom Brady in their previous matchups. Wade Phillips was a defensive coordinator for the Broncos a couple years ago when they had Von Miller and they had that scary front seven and their entire defense was extremely good. Um, Wade Phillips versus Tom Brady. Wade Phillips has only allowed Tom Brady 280 yards or less one time in his 10 matchups, again, in the last 10 matchups. And the last 10 matchups on average, Tom Brady's offenses are averaging 29 points against Wade Phillips-led defenses. On the other hand, you look at how many huge, just game-changing players that the Rams have on defense, and you have to start right away with Aaron Donald, who could be the defensive player of the year this year in the NFL. Hands down, no one would have an argument with that. What you might not know is Tom Brady, this entire playoffs has only been hit once, wasn't sacked at all um, the last game against the Chiefs, and this entire playoff run he was only hit once. This offensive line has been playing phenomenal for the Patriots as of late. You look now at the defensive side of the ball for the Patriots. The Patriots secondary is their best unit on defense. Um, Gilmore for them, according to Power Football Index, is uh, Power Power Football Focus, excuse me, is Gilmore is the number one overall corner mixed in with a lot of other guys there that are good. So it's going to be interesting to see how Goff and those receivers for the Rams can maybe try and highlight some mismatches if they feel like they have them. Uh, Josh Reynolds is the biggest receiver, um, biggest secondary slash receiver player in the game with his height. So if they can maybe get him some jump balls and get him in positions to where he can use his size and overpower and dominate some of the smaller Patriots corners, that could be a big thing to look at. Now you look at what Super Bowl and most NFL games, there's going to be big plays. Percentage-wise this year, the Rams have more percentage-wise big plays in every category on offense, defense, and whether it's receiving, rushing, sacks, or takeaways and things like that. Big play-wise, the Rams are leading the Pats in that. So there's things there that... I just thought need to be brought up and you could look at. I think this Super Bowl is going to be one of the best in recent years. I know last year was incredible. The offensive put out there was between the Eagles and the Patriots ridiculous. When after the Rams won two Sundays ago, I was a meet and like the Patriots and the Chiefs games was going on. I was sitting there thinking like, 
this Rams team, I was already thinking ahead to a Rams-Patriots Super Bowl. That's what happened. I was sitting there thinking about it, and, of course, my initial mind thoughts went to, oh, well, all you have to do to beat Tom Brady is really get pressure on him. That's been sort of the MO, the thought process ever since um, the 19-0 season got broken up by the Giants with Strahan and all their other guys on the defensive line. They were able to get pressure on Brady and affect him and have to make all these other decisions and whatnot. And now, at that time, I feel like and this is a real throwback, so follow me here. At that time, Brady was still able to like get the ball down the, fe- down the field. I mean, Randy Moss was on the team. He was able to stretch the field, get huge plays, whatnot. As age has sort of caught up to Brady, and I don't mean that in a bad way at all. Tom Brady is still at an elite level of quarterback play. But when I say catch up to him, he's changed the way he's moved the offense down the field. It's not now with all these big, huge chunk plays like it sort of was in the past. Now it's little dink and dives and dunks and things like that, Um, getting the ball to the running back on a little flare route or a little slant route or a screen or something like that, and he can move them methodically down the field. What is a very key thing to all these um, short routes? He's getting the ball out of his hands quickly. So I think he has done what Brady has done as he's gotten older and lost the arm strength is he's gotten the ball out quicker, shorter routes. What stops pass rushing is if you don't have the ball, they're not going to rush the passer. They're not going to. So Brady can get the ball out quickly. Donald, Sue, Fowler, all these guys coming after him. Yes, I do think the Rams will be able to get pressure on him, but I do think that it is a big, it cancels out a little bit with how quickly Tom Brady is able to get the ball out because now the way he and New England plays on offense, that offense is built to get the ball out quickly instead of just big play, big play. Um, another thing on the opposite side for the Rams that you need to think about matchup wise, I was talking about, um, Todd Gurley in the receiving game. He is extremely dangerous with the ball in his hands at all times, obviously, whether it's as a running back or as a receiver, uh, the Patriots have, excuse me, the Rams have gotten him the ball. Whenever he catches five or more passes, they are undefeated. This, I believe, in this past year, two years. So, look at that. That's something to maybe think about. Get him the ball. Just throw him the ball five times in a row, and you're good. You're taken care of. Um, If they can get Gurley in space against slower linebackers, which the Patriots do have, then I think that is an extremely important matchup that McVay definitely probably has highlighted already, and I think probably Belichick has highlighted already. So there's probably some wrinkles and different guys that they might bring in Patriots-wise to cover Gurley in the passing game and whatnot on sort of obvious passing downs and whatnot. Um, Another thing, both of these offensive lines are fantastic. Um, So getting to the quarterback, 
while the Rams are going to have that advantage, the Patriots in the playoffs have been extremely good at it as well. Uh, I do expect there to be some sacks, but overall, I think the front front lines offensive wise for both of these teams are impeccable. So you're going to see great offensive line play in this game. The only thing that concerns me if I'm a Patriots fan is having to make extremely like chunk plays, big chunk plays to maybe have to get you back in it. And I know that's not really ever the mindset that the Patriots ever go into things with. I mean, the when they were down 28-3 to the Falcons, they weren't trying to throw the ball all across the field and everything. They were just methodical, get themselves back in the game, work the game plan, everything like that. My only concern is if they are forcing them to do big plays and whatnot, that Aqib Tlaib, and I know Marcus Peters has sort of sucked recently, but he can still make big plays. Um, Those guys in the Rams secondary can step up and cut off all these short routes that the Patriots like to do and challenge the receivers and be big and physical a little bit. That's my only issue because Hogan's the biggest receiver in the game at 210 pounds. Edelman's not that big. Gronk, though, obviously, there's a prop bet out there, I think, for like five and a half catches for Gronk. Way hammer that fucking thing. He's going to get the ball a ton. But that's another thing. Who matches up against Gronk? Got to see what that does. Moving on, another thing about the Super Bowl that is... Not really, I don't think is a super big issue, but I just don't want, I don't want it to happen. But if you look back, and I know they won the game, but if you look back into what is probably like the most, like biggest, not the biggest, but competitive wise game that the Rams were in this year besides the NFC Championship game, the Monday night game against the Chiefs. Sean McVay was sort of overthinking things and trying to be a little too um, cute with play calling and whatnot. I don't think that is necessarily going to happen in the Super Bowl because it's the fucking Super Bowl. Like, you're going to be as sharp as possible. But I don't want him to maybe think he has to go in there and overthink things and overcoach Belichick and everything. Like, obviously, you do want to outcoach Belichick, but... If you're over here trying to play chess and Belichick's over here playing checkers and just methodically taking you apart and you are sort of beating yourself, overthinking things, that's something that could come into play. I know that's not really like a popular thing where I know it's just coaching and stuff, but just look for Sean McVay to maybe force an issue and do something a little too cute and Belichick have just something dialed up perfectly defensive wise or offensive wise. I either one just look for that at some point early in the game I feel like where McVay might try and do something just to like gain some momentum or put points on the board or something early and like make a statement where he might overthink himself and wind up a big play for the Patriots um, early on in the game. Now, I guess we got to talk about prediction-wise. Um, it's super hard to go against the Patriots. 
And when I, to- I told you, when I first heard about, like, I f- was thinking about matchups and everything, my mind immediately went to the Rams, like, comfortably winning this game. I mean, like, 10 points or more, like, comfortably. And then moving on, hearing what people had to say and looking at things and whatnot, and looking at how Tom Brady has the entire city of New England and that entire team bought into that whole underdog mumbo-jumbo bullshit when they're not in any statistical way or, like, any any way possible. If you think the, the Patriots are an underdog in this game, you're an idiot. Um, but Brady has that entire team thinking that it's them against the world, that everybody thinks they're washed up and sold and all this stuff. And they're clearly not, but that's huge. Um, I am just, it's extremely hard, as I said, to not pick the Patriots in this situation. Okay. So this is the pick. We're going to go 37 to 31. We are going to go. Patriots over the Rams, and that is completely, I did a complete 180 on what I thought. But I do think the Rams at some point have a 10-point lead. I don't foresee it being like 10-0 or anything like that, but maybe 17-7 or 24-14, something like that. I do think the Rams have a good enough team to where they obviously can get that 10-point lead, but I think at the end of the day, it's just Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, Super Bowl, and I know they lost last year, and I know that in no way factors into this game at all, but just revenge factor for them being like, we are not going to lose this game back-to-back years the Super Bowl, the biggest stage. We aren't going to do that. It, I think, Brady, I don't, I think Brady wins the MVP, but I think the run game for the Patriots with Sony Michelle and Burkhead and then getting James White the ball out of the backfield is going to be huge for them. Huge. If there could be like a group MVP, I think it goes to the Patriots running backs. I really think they are the key to this game. If they can keep the defense honest and make it so play action is working and they have to respect the run game that slows down the pass rush and gives Brady more time, it's the Patriots running game is the key to this game for them, and I think they're going to be able to do it. The Rams all year have been a little iffy with the run game. I, I don't understand why when you have Donald, Sue, and then you bring in Fowler, but they just have been. And you saw in the NFC Championship game where they struggled with Kamara receiving the ball out of the backfield. James White, totally different type of player than Kamara, but can still probably right up there with the best running back receivers, um, catching running backs in the NFL. So there is your key to the game right there. I think Brady takes home the MVP with, let's let's say, two touchdowns and like 300 yards. I feel two or three touchdowns with 300 yards. That'll get him the MVP. And, again, he said he's not retiring, but I feel like he could if he actually ends up winning this. And I definitely, as I mentioned earlier, think Gronk, Steps up in a big way with over five receptions. Hopefully he gets in the end zone so we can see a Gronk spike and everything. But 
to summarize, Patriots run game, James White in space, getting him the ball receiving-wise, and 37-31, Patriots beat the Rams. Holy shit, I can't believe I just said that. Okay, um, now we are going to move on to some of the prop bets for the Super Bowl that I feel like are just fun little things you can talk about. Um, one of the prop bets is will Jim Nance open the broadcast with Hello Friends? The odds are minus 10,000 10, that he does and plus 2,500 he won't. Um, I feel like if you know Jim Nance at all, he opens just about every broadcast with that. So if you're looking to really just risk something for no reason, go ahead and say he won't do the hello friends. Um, another interesting thing is, well, the announcers mentioned Philly special. Uh, the odds are plus 250 that they do say it. I feel like they probably will say it at some point. Um, one of these that I don't really understand at all, prop bet wise, is the Donald Trump tweets. Um, they have it at nine and a half over under. I don't feel like he's gonna tweet that much, like during the game. It's during the game, so I'm like I've never seen him really watch a game and be like tweeting about it. So I would take the under in that, but that's just me. Um, my dad. Also, on some prop bets, he said, for sure, take the over in the National Anthem and tails with the coin toss. So there are his two picks for that. The Patriots captain always calls heads. So you could see right away if God is on the Patriots side that night, if it's tails or heads on the coin flip. Um, The classic ones... Are there going, what color Gatorade there's going to be? I think it's going to be red. That's just my opinion. I uh, don't know what the odds for that or anything are. There's odds if SpongeBob will be present in some way or another to recreate that whole Super Bowl halftime performance they did in the show. If they're going to recreate that since the creator of SpongeBob passed away this year, odds for that are like plus. 400 something like hell yeah take that i definitely think they're gonna do that there's odds for the super bowl halftime performance um if one of the if adam levine or travis scott is going to be shirtless at some point or if they're not shirtless if their shirt's going to be black or something yeah no shit they're probably just both gonna wear like adam levine will probably wear just a plain black shirt like he always does Watch the voice. You you know that man's wardrobe in and out. Black shirts, black shirts, black shirts. Um, there is a shit ton other more. Like the, will the first player that scores a touchdown, will his jersey number be over or under 26 and a half? And I was thinking that and I was like, oh my, like that's over for sure. Like how could you not think that? But then you look at the player's um that could score. I know you have Gurley, you have Gronk, um, but that's really almost it. I'm, I mean, you look at for the under. You got Hogan who wears fifteen. You got Julian Edelman. You got Brandon Cooks. You got Josh Reynolds. 
Because Reynolds is 83, so never mind. But you got Robert Woods. He's 17, I believe. So you got a lot of under there. I mean, a Tom Brady quarterback sneak. That's number 12. That's under 26 and a half. Um, Rex Burkhead on a dive, though. That's number 34. So you got a lot of options there. I would take the under in that if that was if I was a gambling man. But just wanted that's going to conclude the Super Bowl talk for now next week I'll recap it and everything but if you take anything away from what I've said about the Super Bowl just know 37-31 Patriots and the Rams are up 10 at some point in the game we are going to keep things moving here on the sack with the game ball of the week and this is I know the NCAA gets a lot of shit most of the time but they unequivocally hands down unanimously get the game ball this week for Cards and Sack. And the reason why is they voted on it and they passed it. Uh, guaranteed access to mental health services and resources for stu- every student athlete. And according to the NSA release, this is what the set said that they voted on. The proposal is the latest move to improve the college experience for student-athletes and underscores the commitment to all aspects of student-athlete health. If adopted, which it was, the rule would require schools to make mental health services and resources available through the athletic departments and or the institution's health services or counseling service department. In addition, schools must distribute mental health educational materials and resources, including a guide to the mental health services and resources available at the school and information regarding how to access them to the student athletes throughout the year. Um, this in the wake of former Washington State quarterback Tyler Helsinki, um, who committed suicide. Uh, mental health is a thing that affects so many people, uh, so many young people as well, and there's stigmas around it. And I feel like sometimes student athletes are thought of these like huge, big, macho guys, like big man on campus, and they're afraid to admit that they have an issue or something like that. And for the NCAA to come out and make this an issue and address the issue. Granted, it did take something awful like a player committing suicide, but if any good can come out of that, it's that he it raised a lot of questions and brought a lot of eyes to a situation and a topic that needs addressed. So, Again, I know the NSA gets shit on a lot. They do fuck up a lot of things, but in this situation, them doing this, um, hands down, earns a huge amount of praise and the game ball, I guess, for the week on Carson Zach Podcast. So hats off once again to the NCAA for doing this for all the student-athletes. We now shift our focus to NBA talk and there's really only one big thing that you need to know that is happening and that is Anthony Davis has requested a trade from the Pelicans his preferred landing spots is the Los Angeles Lakers and the Lakers would have to give up just about everybody to get them Um, if you look at In the past, Lakers giving up and sort of giving up on players a little too early. Julius Randle, D'Angelo Russell, who D'Angelo Russell is now um, quietly taking the NBA NBA by storm, gathering a lot of hype from players around the league and uh, media members to get uh, voted into the All-Star game. He is 
pretty much the face of the Nets organization right now, playing extremely well. Um, and trade rumors and stuff, people are saying that the Lakers would have to give up uh, Ingram, Lonzo Ball, uh, Kuzma, and draft picks and stuff like that. I just could not see that being a thing. Um, I don't. I feel like they don't want to give up that much right away. Another thing that has been big in the news lately in the NBA is Kyrie Irving has sort of shown and expressed his, I don't want to say his disapproval with how the Celtics are going, but he has disapproval with how the Celtics are going and his sort of willingness um, to reconcile with LeBron James. So people are throwing out the idea that it could be Kyrie, LeBron, and Anthony Davis and in the Laker, on the Lakers sooner rather than later. Um, Kyrie being a free agent next year. And another guy that they're saying could go to the Lakers if they end up do getting Anthony Davis is Clay Thompson, which I think right there, if you had Clay, Anthony Davis, and LeBron right there, I don't think there's a better player to put on that team with LeBron better than Clay Thompson. His skill set, his catch and shoot ability. Um, and if he does have to get his own shot, he can do that extremely well. Um, another thing that people I don't think are thinking about all the while is Anthony Davis isn't a free agent for two more years. So what a contender this year could do and just totally shake things up with their team is go out and trade for Anthony Davis, sort of rent him out this year, and then sometime next year trade them and get a ton of assets back you bring in one of the best players in the nba for this year onto your team um utilize them for the rest of this year help you all in the playoffs if you're there um maybe win a finals with them and then ship them off and regain assets in a trade this coming year um a team that could do that is the raptors i feel like they have a lot of assets they could unload um People that have reached out so far to the Pelicans, you had the Bucks, and I think a Giannis and Anthony Davis team is just absolutely unfair. But they're—I didn't don't think they really officially offered anything, but um, there were rumors that they offered a shit ton of people, and the Pelicans were like, "No, we're not going to do that." Um, obviously, if you're the Pelicans. It's sort of name your price and hope somebody comes close to it because Anthony Davis is a generational player and one of the best players in the NBA right now. Um, So that's sort of really the only big thing to look at so far. I do probably think he ends up with the Lakers at some point, somehow, one way or another, whether that's a trade or the Lakers ultimately just keep riding this out and wait until free agency but I have no idea and that's two years down the line that's the Pelicans don't have to trade them they can literally just sit them and not do anything with them for two years um Davis has been sitting out recently and Jaleel Okafor uh from Duke who sort of through his career has sort of been a bust has been playing extremely well 21 points 11 rebounds 2.6 blocks per game in the five games Davis has been out with injury and then this trade uh, rumor issues so j- the Pelicans pretty much have all the power in this situation and can do pretty much anything they want and I think that's pretty much good for them they need to get a shit ton back just because of how much Anthony Davis is worth um, other NBA news James Harden's 30 point scoring game streak is continuing um, 
I don't think that's ever going to stop, I guess. He's just going to score, score, score until he can't anymore. Um, That is about all the NBA news, really, that I need to talk about for today. We are going to now shift our focus to college basketball and talk about some things and some games going on there. So we are just going to run through some games coming up, some top 25 matchups this coming week. On Friday, February 1st, you have Michigan going to Iowa after Michigan earlier in the week dismantled Ohio State. And I think Iowa could keep that game relatively close, but I think Michigan in the end pulls away. Um, Also on Friday, you have Maryland, 21st in the country, going to Wisconsin. I think just because it's at Wisconsin – The Badgers end up getting it done. Duke on Saturday, February 2nd, hosts St. John's. St. John's started the year off extremely hot and then has sort of cooled down a little bit. I think this is Duke's game to win. Um, You have Virginia Tech going to North Carolina State. North Carolina State almost upsetting Virginia at North Carolina State this past week. I think this is their first game since then. I think they're still going to be extremely just tired and everything. I think Virginia Tech can come in and win that game. A big matchup in the ACC on Saturday. You have North Carolina, ninth in the country, going to 15th-ranked Louisville, who just made a huge jump in the rankings. Louisville went on the road earlier this year to Chapel Hill and beat North Carolina by 20-plus points. I don't think that's the case at all. I think North Carolina comes out, revenge game sort of mentality, and ends up beating Louisville. I don't, it's a whiteout. Chris Mack for the Cardinals has already said he's not going to wear an entire white suit like Rick Pitino did. That's sort of upsetting, but oh well. Um, you got Texas at Iowa State as well on Saturday. People are now all in on Iowa State to maybe win the Big 12 since Kansas has been struggling. Kansas... Last Saturday, losing to Kentucky in an extremely good game. Kentucky in that game with three guys with double-doubles. Last time that happened under Calipari, it was uh, Patrick Peterson, Patrick Patterson, um, Boogie Cousins, Demarius Cousins, and John Wall in Calipari's first year there. Um, Like I said, Texas goes to Iowa State. I think Texas, coming off their win against Kansas earlier this week, might be Head might be a little too big. I'm going to take Iowa State. Um, Kentucky goes to Florida this Saturday after Kentucky murdered Vanderbilt on Tuesday night. Um, Kentucky is trending extremely well right now, playing their best basketball all year, and that's what you need. Um, They've got an incredibly hard stretch coming up. Uh, They're going to have to – I think that that stretch ends with them having to go to – Tennessee on February 16th but right now the way Kentucky is playing I don't think that they're gonna have much issue with games up until that game uh as a Kentucky fan to me this week was almost just as important as last week because these are two games that against opponents this week against Vanderbilt and Florida that historically tough hard games both on the road and it's easy to get up and play for big games like a Kansas last week but you to be a great team and have success come March you got to be able to handle your business against lesser teams on the road in conference and Kentucky did that exceptionally well Tuesday it's going to be another hard test Saturday um, down in Gainesville against Florida but Again, like I said, the way Kentucky has been playing, you got to feel pretty good if you're a Cats fan. Um, Another big game, if you can call it that, 
You have a Big 12 matchup between Texas Tech and Kansas. Kansas is in desperate need of a win here, and I think being at uh, Fog in Kansas, Kansas will end up beating the Red Raiders from Texas Tech, and that's it. That is the big matchups for Saturday. On Sunday, there is not a big one at all. And that yeah, I'm not gonna look up next week right now. That it ends on Saturday. That is your big matchups and predictions and whatnot for the college basketball games this coming week. We're going to wrap up this show like I've been doing the past two weeks with a little WWE talk. Royal Rumble was this past Sunday. Seth Rollins won the men's. Becky Lynch won the women's. Uh, Seth Rollins is going to take on Brock Lesnar for the Universal Championship at WrestleMania. And Becky Lynch is going to challenge Ronda Rousey for the Women's Championship at WrestleMania. I believe that Ronda and Becky is going to main event. And that would be the first time that a women's match main evented WrestleMania. And I 100% think this is the match to do that. People are sort of thinking maybe that Charlotte needs to get involved I think you should just have Charlotte and Asuka run things back for the SmackDown's Women's Championship and have that be its own separate match. They killed it last WrestleMania. I don't think you need to add Charlotte, make it a triple threat match or anything like that, but maybe for more star power and everything like that and the standing that Charlotte has in the company with being Ric Flair's daughter, she could very well easily be added to the Becky Ronda match and make that a triple threat. Either way, whether it's a one-on-one match between Becky and Ronda or the triple threat match between those three girls needs three women, excuse me, needs to main event WrestleMania. Um, the storyline that Seth and Brock are probably going to portray and try and tell is that Roman Reigns, the member of the Shield, Rollins' kayfabe brother um, in the Shield does couldn't beat Lesnar so why would Rollins be able to do it all this stuff redemption story for Rollins and with Reigns having real life leukemia how that can play into things I no idea but I imagine that's the story they're gonna tell um super exciting that you already know and you have these two huge matches already for Wrestlemania and there's only gonna be more to add and come uh, Finn Balor is already back in the mid-card, though, going up against probably Bobby Lashley here in the coming weeks um, for the IC title. That's pretty upsetting after he had a great showing against Brock Lesnar this past Sunday at the Royal Rumble. Um, on SmackDown, you had a Elimination Chamber match made for the WWE Championship between Daniel Bryan, AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, Jeff Hardy, Randy Orton and uh, Mustafa Ali. That's going to be incredible at Elimination Chamber. I definitely foresee, though, probably Daniel Bryan coming out of that as well. So it's going to be interesting to see where SmackDown goes with um, the WWE Championship and who they're going to have face um, Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania. So that's really all I need to talk about WWE-wise. So just wanted to cover that base and get that out to you all. That is going to do it for episode 49 of Carson Zach Podcast. As I mentioned, it was a shorter one. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy the short podcast. Next week, we're going to recap the Super Bowl, everything that happened there. Um, probably talk about some commercials as well. Uh, thank you all for listening. As we always end here on Carson Zach Podcast, where we talk balls. We will be seeing you. I survived what I've been through. Y'all got drama. The saga continues. Go win, no win.
ain't going nowhere.